On episode 75 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Engineering Better Teams with Tara Winston. You will find that there is so much redundancy built into almost every organization that has been around for more than 10 years because of some ball that got dropped and we just start building in support layers rather than fix the trust factors to make sure that those things operate the way they should. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. On today's show, we're talking with Tara Winston. She's a leadership consultant and executive coach with more than 20 years of experience. Her background is a little different than most. She started her professional life with a degree in systems engineering, hence the name of this episode. She soon found out that her real passion was engineering the leaders and teams that make up organizations. And now, here's my talk with Tara Winston. Can you tell me what your background is? Can you tell us how we got to today? Sure. Uh, first of all, I'm so excited to be here. My background is the weirdest group of unplanned steps that <laughs> led to, to the best outcome, which I think all the best things do, right? Yeah. So I am a um, secret engineer. I started my career with an engineering degree, okay. systems engineering out of University of Virginia. And it didn't take me long to realize that I, I, I love the, the analytics and I love the learning of it. But the honest answer is I didn't care why things worked. And that's a huge part of engineering. That's true. <laughs> but I, I care deeply how and why people work. And okay. I, I realized that you could take some of the same analytics and the same process thinking and systems thinking and apply it on the human side. So I always, I tease my friends and say, I use my powers for good and not evil now. (laughs) (laughs) But once I realized that I ended up taking a role in management consulting, and that gave me this nice hybrid of business and technology. And and it was a great learning tool. It was almost like university 2.0. You start to learn just how how organizations work and, and things like that. So after um, taking a break to get, to get my MBA, I decided that I would focus very heavily on the people side of business. And it was great. I did some in, in big consulting firms. I, I transitioned into PepsiCo and, and did it internally from an HR perspective. But I got to a point where I was working my butt off. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as so many of us do. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I looked up and I realized that I, I was so excited about the prospects of career opportunities when it came to perks and status and all that stuff that doesn't matter. The actual work, I didn't love. Right? I kept saying, okay, well, great. I'll do, the next level, I'll be this, and then I'll be SVP, and then, I'll, you know, then you get the big job. The actual content of the work wasn't what I loved, and I had to stop myself and say, is life about the, the shiny bits, or is it about doing work that makes you feel fulfilled. And I and I decided to take a step back. And so that's when I left and started my business. When I was reading on your website, the different stuff that you do, it was talking about how to get that next promotion in your job. Is that kind of the secret? Is that if you don't love what you do, you're not going to be good promotable material? That's part of it. Right now, I'm a pragmatist. I always tell people I'm from Jersey, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to get the work done. <laughs> <laughs> it is so much easier if it is something that you love, if it is something that 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 sparks some attention from you. Now, there there are certain people that if they have the right motivation, can put their heads down and just drive. What I will say is that that's great for sprints, but it's very hard to maintain a marathon that way. 
Yeah, I agree. Honestly, I so much of of when when I work with people around being promoted or even starting a business, what we're talking about is strategy. What is your strategy to get there? So there are times when you can just hold your breath and just go. And that might be the right answer, but you got to have a plan for when you finally need, need a break from that. The famous, is it Abraham Lincoln or George Washington quote, like, if you give me two hours to cut down a tree, I'm going to spend most of the time sharpening my axe? Exactly, exactly. What people struggle with so much now is we have so much messaging out there that says, do what you love and jump and the universe will will grab you. And, and all that stuff is so true, but you got to have a plan. You can't you can't just jump with, with your eyes closed, with no parachute, <laughs> without a map of the place you're jumping from. I think people have been a little disillusioned because everyone thinks I'm supposed to be so phenomenally happy right now. But what you end up doing is you find your own version of happy. And that comes with compromise at times. But in the end, well, you will look back and realize that, that's, that you've got exactly what you want. So if I'm not happy and I don't have a plan, what are some of the steps that you urge people to take? The very first thing that, that I will tell people to do is to really look at what are your core values? What are the things that you crave and that you need in your life? Because while we are building your exit plan to this next beautiful version of life, you need to have something to grab onto now. And what happens is we're so miserable now. We make we make our family miserable. We make the dog miserable. <laughs> and, then, you know, and then we wonder why we can't seem to find a good option for our next step because everybody's unhappy. So instead, find what are the things that you absolutely love and you Dial that up in your life right now to give you a soft landing. Then the next thing you, you look at is you look at your history of, of your experiences and that not just work history, but anything in life and start to start to figure out what were the nuggets of things that made you sing. That, like when you were at your, your flow, your happiest, you know, what were the elements of that? And what you'll start, you'll start to figure out, most of us have a formula for what makes us happy. For some people, it will be less the what and more the who, right? So if I'm with the right kinds of people in the right kinds of environment, then I'm good. You know, other people, the environment matters a lot less, but I've got to feel like I have some control over my work or that I've got some ability to be recognized for my work. So we start pulling apart the pieces of those bright spots in your background. And that will start to guide you towards how do you start to, to reduce just all the options that are out there for you. What I also will say, people get incredibly stuck in this identity of, of who they are, what they do. Well, I am an accountant. I am a lawyer. That's great, but the world doesn't even operate that way anymore. <laughs> and we're at this point now where new jobs are created with this ridiculous pace. I was on a plane actually just just yesterday and ran across a woman whose job it is to research human behavior when we are um, in front of autonomously driving cars. Okay. That is her job. Wow. <laughs> so what do people do when they're sitting in front of a car that is driving itself? Play board Good games. Job. I don't know. <laughs> well, well that's, that, and that's the big question. I was like, I'm so scared of the answer. <laughs> 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 that's not a job she could have put on her resume seven years ago. Mm-hmm. It didn't exist. So stop identifying yourself by, by the function or the field and really get a good sense of the, what is the secret sauce that makes you a great employee. So a lot of times, particularly with my executives, but this actually works even if you're fairly junior in the game, to really look at what are your core skill sets and define yourself. Are you someone that does a great job at creating order out of chaos? Mm-hmm. Right? And so say that, that, that works if you're a project manager, that works for people with high organizational skills, and also people that, that you know very strong kind of general manager leadership skills can be someone that does that. 
Are you a creative problem solver in certain areas? So find a way to wrap the idea of your experience. And then what you will find is that your universe of options explodes in terms of the types of opportunities you'll be great at and the types of things that people will bring to you. Because we, you know, there's so much talk about networking, but not nearly enough about how do you really amplify your network to be supportive of you. So if I go out and I talk to my network and say, hi, I'm an accountant, they will remember that I'm an accountant and they will bring me, anytime someone says the word accountant, they will think of me, which is great. (laughs) But if there's another opportunity that will fit me, I've given them nothing to even connect me to. And what I always try to remind people is even your biggest supporters cannot think about you 100% of their time. They just can't. They have lives. They've got bills. The bachelorette is on at times, (laughs) right? (laughs) So you've got to give them enough that when something sounds right, it it reminds them like, okay, now let me call Tara. And then they'll be amplified. Very long answer to your question, but it... (laughs) Build your foundation so that you, you have enough energy and stamina to go through, through a job transition. Then be able to define yourself in a way that is more universal, that you know, speaks to who you are, not just what you do. Mm-hmm. And then you go off and, and you light a fire under those people that can, can get your name out in the right places. I think also these traditional job roles, it kind of puts people into a box. You know, if you mm-hmm. say... I'm an accountant, then you're saying maybe to other people, I don't do anything else. The truth of the matter is there's so many jobs in this day and age that are a bunch of different things together. Or also, I think there's probably people out there that are not in their ideal job and they know that, but they keep identifying themselves as this in the box job without any consideration for what their passion is or what they may be good at. Oh, it's so true. You know, I would even say like, you know, if, if you do know what you want to do, if you're one of those people that you feel like you're stuck, I have this, this identity that, I, that I've built this experience in, but I want people to see me as something different. Even the way you introduce yourself, you know, the, the infamous, you know, what do you do question. Yes, I hate um, it. <laughs> I hate that question so much. But even if you just, just say, you know, what do I do? My daytime job is this, but I'm secretly this. Like, you know, there, there's all kinds of cute ways that you can help anchor people in this this new identity of who you are but you have to start believing it yourself too i like to also answer it a way they're not expecting so i'll, I'll say something <laughs> like you know i am a big coffee snob and they're like what do you work yeah. in coffee no i'm just i'm just a coffee snob you know <laughs> i kind of love it what do you do <laughs> not much if i don't have to <laughs> also in our company in particular there's a lot of different roles that are not clearly defined and so we all wear a bunch of different hats and i'm assuming as technology increases and that there's going to be more of that into the future and so not labeling yourself right now but following what you know you can do is probably the best idea it's it's huge i mean the 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 race will be won by those who are most agile and adaptable that like that that's where we are now because you know there that's there's not even enough time to train people on new technology before that technology is uh, is obsolete you know we when we first started this conversation we were talking about my iphone lord knows by the time i get my iphone and figure it out the new ones already <laughs> are out there and i'm already behind yep <laughs> that's how the world of work is and and if i can reveal a little bit of an hr secret even oh, yes. in the past, they're like, shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but even in, the, even in the past, you know, what would often happen is there was a, either there was a need inside the company or there was a very strong employee that, you know, HR would constantly make up new jobs. Mm-hmm. Within my business, what I would tell some of my clients is it's okay to want this kind of interesting, weird, hybrid job, you know. And what you used to say is, ooh, I like that guy Bob's job. Like, how does he have this and this and this? That's just weird. 
right? And it's because they kind of crafted it around Bob. Yeah. And the number of times that 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 guy Bob's job happens, when people see someone who is talented, who they want to work with and they're excited about, you know, people will accommodate. So pursuing those things that give you that give you energy and leaning into them and being adaptable and then not defining yourself in a box, you are then ripe and open for opportunity. And that's where what that's what we're looking for. We don't want jobs. We want opportunities. It's good sometimes to be that answer that the company was looking for, but it's also sometimes good to be that amazing individual that is so good the company just really wants to have and will make that job for. Yes. I had a great meeting with my financial planner and he was telling me that he had started working with this very nice gentleman who knew nothing about money. And it was because for most of his life, he had been a monk. Hmm. He was at one of those those wonderful retreats where people go to on the weekends. And so there had been another gentleman that would, co- would come over the years and do these, these retreats. They, they weren't quite silent, so they got a chance to talk. And um, one time the guy said, look, I think my company needs an ombudsman, someone who could be a, a third party. And you're such a great listener. Would you ever consider joining my company? So this monk who had never had any money gets a six-figure job. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> but he wasn't even looking for one. Right. But, but, but he showed up as himself. He did those things that he loved. He, he excelled in them. And opportunity came to him. Amazing. So let's pivot a little bit here. You work with companies, you consult with companies. When you come into an organization that's having issues and they they want you to come in, what are some of the common things that you're seeing? Something that is coming up a lot these days is the shifting culture because we have so many different types of people in the organization now, right? So you call it generational differences, but I feel honestly people are are just beating up on millennials a little bit too much these days. (laughs) (laughs) Some days they deserve it more than others. But, but this is the first time we really have such a, a long extension of, of people where the baby boomers are staying in longer, millennials are coming in in their numbers. And so it shows up in ways that, that people will say that there are management issues, but really there are a differences in how I show the same values, mm-hmm. right? I want you to take initiative. I want my employee to take initiative. Someone with gray hair like I am. <laughs> That says, I give you an assignment, you go you go off and try to figure it out and then come to me when you have some questions, but you put a, a good amount of sweat equity into trying to figure this out. Right. Now you, you fast forward to someone who is a, a digital native, so someone who's grown up with this idea that the internet and that Google knows everything. <laughs> and <laughs> the idea that they would not crowdsource that when I just literally ask, type in a couple words and ask as many people as I know the answer, their answer is much quicker than what we used to do. But a lot of times for a manager, it will feel like, well, you didn't really try. Mm-hmm. Or like, why do you keep asking me? And, and, the, and, and the answer for the millennial is, well, because you're the one that has the answer. Like, why <laughs> would I not go to the one that has the answer? <laughs> so, so it's logical on both sides, but because we're just not used to each other, we end up, it, it causes issues. So, so, that, so number one is the fact that, that everyone just feels a little bit crunchy <laughs> mm-hmm. because we we all speak slightly different languages. I think the number two challenge that that I see is is we are all overstrapped. There's there's so much going on. There's so many things coming at any business at any given time. And there's only so many resources that a business has. Mm-hmm. And so We've not, and I would say this across the board, we've not done a good job of figuring out when do we say no? When do we, when do we stop? And so we just run our people as hard as possible. And with all the, the not surprising effects that, that happen, we have performance issues, we have communication issues, we've got general gaps. And we just, we just you know, technology has enabled us to just go lightning pace. But the, the, the human capital part of the, our businesses 
are, are keeping up very well. And so you're starting to see these stresses in that level. And I think probably the third one, and this is fairly recent, um, the past couple of years, what you are seeing is that no company is immune from the outside world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, diversity and inclusion, presidential tweets, you, you got globalization, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, anything and everything walks into your into your business and you have to figure out how to deal with it. Even though, we, you know, for the longest time, the answer was businesses were neutral. Mm-hmm. We respect all opinions, keep all that nonsense outside the doors. We can't keep it out anymore. Right. Trying to navigate what it, you know, how do you be inclusive and let all people's voices matter and how people who, who are, I mean, legitimately impacted by some of the stuff that they're seeing outside. It, it, there's, there's no roadmap for this. And all the companies are trying to figure it out on their own. Let's kind of move back a little bit. So your first issue you were saying was the generational one. I don't really know how we solve this. I was talking to my dad recently. So my dad is still in the labor force. He's getting close to retirement. He's 62. So he's, he's thinking about it at this point. And his boss is my age, which is pretty funny. So it's, <laughs> yeah. I think it would be frustrating to have a boss that's your son's age. And mm-hmm. I said, well, well, how is that? How does that work? And he said, actually, it works really well because he struggles on the system side of things. So technology changes and they have different systems he's required to use. He's in the insurance business, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, and it's frustrating for him, but he can ask the people that are younger than him, how does this work? And they typically know how, and then they are able to respect him because he's seen all these different situations. And so they'll bring it to him and they'll say, you know, we have a claim that looks like this you know, I've never seen this before. How do you handle this? And then he could say back at on this day and this year, we did this and it worked out well. So let's try doing that again. So it seems like a good working environment and a good compromise, but Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that it's not quite as fluid and nice in a lot of situations. You know what it is. And I think that what may make it work is the nature of the fact that it's kind of upside down, right? Where where the fact that, that, you know, having such a young manager that manager is hyper aware of the situation. Often what happens when it's more traditional, right? When you've got a leader who is much older, what, what ends up happening is the people say the young people don't understand, like they don't, they, they don't have the judgment yet. So rather than saying you have different experiences, let me value those experiences for what they are. Instead, they become outages that I need to coach out of you. So I actually, there's a class that I, that I teach. And my, the very first time I, I of course, I, I got to teach it to the top 15 executives in the company who are older gentlemen mm-hmm. and ladies, seasoned, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, I, I teach, taught it to different people at different levels. And so when, when I taught it to the, the most senior level, we, you know, we were going through this exercise um, around generational differences. And someone said to me, Tara, can you believe that in one of my employees, my employees, employee, employees, so several layers down from me, mm-hmm. wanted to make a meeting with me. And so they went on Outlook and they found when I was open and they sent me a meeting notice. <laughs> <laughs> and that senior leader was so offended. I mean, just out, outdone that you would do this. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, well what, what would you prefer this person do? Well, everybody knows that you contact my assistant. My assistant then t- decides when, what works. And then my assistant then sends you the meeting notice. And I asked, I said, well, what, what book of knowledge is that written in that that is the official way to be? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer was, well, everyone knows. Yeah. I use that as an example when I talk to the classes later, which is full of millennials. And they're like, why would I know this? And like, mm-hmm. you could just decline it if, if, if you didn't want <laughs> to have the meeting. It's, it's all fun and games. But, but really where the challenge happens is that senior executive 
So think about it. My boss's boss's boss has decided that I lack judgment. Mm-hmm. So it's not, we're not talking about a technology issue or someone just mis- mess- messing up the rules. We then start to ascribe leadership competencies or lack thereof mm-hmm. to these outages. And that's the type of thing that just, just floats behind you way more years than it should. So that's where you see some of those gaps happening. Or you also have, you know, now let's flip it around. In general, and anytime you talk these differences, they're generalized. But in general, millennials tend to be and, and want a more social environment. The number of executives or leaders from different generations that, that are stressed about this, mm-hmm. because that's just not their style. I think my favorite comment someone says is, I have friends, but they're at home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and having to accommodate for someone else's style. I, I think beyond anything, there was an executive and we were going through some of these chal- these challenges. And he said to me, he said, Tara, when I was that age, speaking of millennials, when I was that age, I had to do whatever my boss told me to do, whether I liked it or not, and then sit down and shut up. Now that I'm old enough to be the boss, you're telling me that now I can't do that. Now I got to <laughs> care about what they want and listen and coach. And I was like, yep. And that's what it boils down to. So much of the stuff in the workplace is like, I don't like it. There's not an impact on the business, but I just don't like how it works. I want I want to see you face to face with with you know with FaceTime, or I want to you know I want you to do the way things the way I want to. And the world has just now evolved that because we have so many different types of people with situations, we got to find a way for us all to get along. Do you think it has to be a little bit of a compromise? So you'll have the type who you know they want you to do what they say, and if they have the authority, then maybe you need to do that. But also to listen to the other person and say you know what are your concerns about this? Why do we need to talk about this? Exactly. I mean, it is it is all compromised, quite frankly, on, on all sides. And the biggest question that now what I talk to leaders about is, do you want to be right? Or do you want the most effective team? If someone does it a little bit differently than what you may have wanted, but they get a good result and all the work is done, you get to go home. <laughs> Isn't it worth it? Mm-hmm. But it's hard. So it, I think it requires so much more self-awareness now than I think in any other generation we've had to have in order to say, I don't like it, but I'm gonna, but that's okay anyway. Or I don't like it and no, that's not okay. And here's why. And we now we can talk, now we have to talk about it like adults versus me barking at you like the, the bosses from, from a 1950s television show. Mm-hmm. It's the same concepts I use with uh, my nine-year-old. A lot of times he'll disagree <laughs> with me and I'll say, okay, I, I understand you don't want to do what I'm asking you to do. Can You can explain yourself and tell me why you don't want to do this. And he'll say something and I'll say, I have heard your point, but I still want you to do this. Or I've heard your point. I do see it your way and let's do it a little bit differently. It's just kind of like communicating. That's the big part, right? Wow. Like all <laughs> this is just a basis of communication. Like what, what was that book? Everything I ever need to know I learned in kindergarten. Exactly. It right. It really is. But we, we forget. <laughs> So and we want to make it hard. It doesn't have to be hard. There's a concept that we talk about a lot, which is siloed leadership. So everyone has their own little silo and you can't go up and down without having to go through your chain of command and you can't go side to side into different departments. And then there's collaborative leadership where everyone is a leader and they have the ability to kind of, if there's a good idea or a good way to communicate, to kind of move side to side or up and down as necessary for the good of the company. So I kind of like your concept saying you need to kind of have some respect for chain of command, but also you need to have some collaborative ability to be able to talk to people how they want to be communicated with. Exactly. I love I love that concept you guys have because it, it really is how the world is, is working these days. But like you said, you can't, you know, chain of command still matters. There's like 
it can't be democracy all the time. <laughs> Sometimes you need to sit, sit down and get some work done because that's what the organization needs. But, but figure out when those moments are, I think, is is the hard part. And then the the last point I wanted to touch on of these three that you mentioned was about like keeping up and changing times. So mm-hmm. things are always changing. There's always the example of the person who makes the buggy whip, you know, <laughs> before the car comes out. Now he's out of business unless he can change and maybe become a custom steering wheel leather wrapper or something like that. Right. Right. So how do you help your the companies you're working with kind of stay relevant? That's so hard because remember, traditional business, you know, we think strategic planning process, right? You're going to look three to five years ahead. Good Lord, three to five years. Like the world has mm-hmm. completely changed in three to five years. Right. We still are very married to some of these older business processes. And so, you know, very few people have, have the stomach to go in and just blow that process, those things up. So instead, what we talk about are the little pivots. You know, you can make a plan for something and you should plan it all the way out. But at, at the same time, are you in the, the information streams? Are you in the kinds of places to understand what, what changing impacts may be coming at you? And that's why that collaborative leadership really matters because you need to have enough people in enough places that are willing to support you with, uh, with information, data, anything new that might impact you mm-hmm. so that you can start to, to make that, a, that decision. Is this enough for us to pivot a little bit or do we stay the course and, and stay, stay aware of it? And so if you do those things and, and allow things to organically come and be considered, you usually will, stay, will be able to, at the end, have something that is, is still relatively relevant based on where the world changes. But that's why some of you know some of these these new communication ideas are really important because information is so disparate these days. You need you almost need eyes and ears in every location, and and that means you have to validate those people and you and allow them to to speak to speak up and to have some voice. You know, so if I've got someone who's junior, and and I will say this is one of the great things about you know I started my career in management consulting. They train you very early on that you know you might be sitting in a meeting related to X. And hear something about a project that you're not even on, but is with the same same consulting firm. You better share it because if everybody if they get kicked out, they're probably gonna kick you out too, <laughs> right? We're all in this together, so they they taught you to break down the silos. And I would say the same thing. You have to start empowering your people if they hear something that they can speak up because that's when you get. You know, I do a mo- some training around trust. The best information is the iffy information, mm-hmm. right? By the time it's solidified, double-checked, and TMZ is reported on it, you, it's already too late to make plans. Now you're in responsive action, mm-hmm. right? So you want someone to feel trusting enough to say, hey, I heard this thing. It may not be 100% right, but this is what I'm hearing. You can then get on top and do research and plan. You've got more reaction time to that type of thing. But they're only going to do that if they trust you, if you've given people voices. And if it's not, if you haven't decided the only people that can speak are these five folks, by enabling that, then you allow yourself to to be responsive um, and you can stay on top of the changes. I have a good example of that. I used to work in television news and there was a afternoon meeting that was just the reporters and producers and they would come up with all the ideas for the day like what stories are we, are we going to cover and the cameramen were not invited really and so it was a separate thing and you just you know the cameramen were just there to facilitate the story that the reporter and the producers came up with well one of the reporters was listening to their cameraman that had been there for about 20 years and he would talk to her about ideas he had and she was like these are really great you should come to the meeting and so he started coming to the meeting and sharing his ideas and then very soon after they were like you know why don't we have everyone come to the meeting 
And we had so many more great ideas because you're able to listen to people that have a different perspective than what you had. It's huge. I mean, we, we don't have a, a big value for perspective all the times because we, you know, we tend to think like this person has power. This person has access. Do you know who know the most is all the people, all the support people in, in this world. Like I would mm-hmm. tell when, when anyone starts doing networking, I will tell them there's always the infamous, like, please do not disrespect the assistant on the way to the CEO because the assistant mm-hmm. has more power on access. But you know, if you know how much information drivers and hairdressers and security guards and you know people who spend a lot of time watching in this world, right? You you will learn that they, that everyone has value and perspective. Now you don't have to take everyone's opinion, but trust me, they still have have power have, have enough information that can be helpful. So I, I love that. I'm going to use that example. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> And so also, you kind of touched on this earlier about the overwhelm, that there's so much going on, that people's plates are stacked so high. How do you help people in that situation? Usually the, the first question is, what are we trying to accomplish with all this, right? Mm-hmm. We, we layer things on and layer things on just because great, great ideas come. But there's, there's a point when you have to say, what's the ultimate goal behind this? And you may find that you can start compressing pieces, like that there's a, there's a lot of wasted energy and time. I mean, there's also, we look at who has to really be involved. Like I had a coaching call just last week. The issue was this poor woman is exhausted. She's involved in way too many things. And we start to go through the list of things she was doing. And and she said, well, you know, I have a virtual team and I want them to feel connected to me. So I sit in on each of their, each one of their daily calls that the the team has. They they have their, their technical, so they call them scrum calls, right? And I said, you spend an hour, you know, every day you're on these calls. Yes. What is the purpose of this? I want them to know I'm all, I'm in it with them. What if you attended one and not five? <laughs> oh, okay, I can do that. Or you know, I, the, I I sit in on all these meetings because there may be mention of my project. Well, how many meetings? Well, I sit on the, another six extra meetings per week because they might mention my project. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know, and basically what you know what it boils down to is the fact that she didn't want to cause anyone any extra trouble, so she was taking it all on herself. So usually finding where the waste is in the process and you and the waste usually comes because we don't trust each other, right? Mm-hmm. I need to be on here because you may not tell me this thing that's going to impact me or you may not handle my thing correctly. So when you can strengthen those trust bonds and then I know that when I toss this ball over my shoulder at you, that you're going to pick it up and not going to embarrass me. You will find that there is so much redundancy built into almost every organization that has been around for more than 10 years because of some things, some balls that got dropped and we just start building in support layers rather than fix the trust factors to make sure that those things operate the way they should. Right? Trust is huge. You pull out the waste in the system and and then you're still met with t- total overwhelm from all the new stuff that could be happening. And at that point, the the very hard conversation is that we we get very good at cutting back on everything but human expenditure. When the boss comes in and says, we need to cut 10% of this budget. And you're like, we don't have 10%. Y'all find 10%. <laughs> uh, I, I've been at some companies, like they go to one plant, toilet paper, they start unplugging kiosks for uh, <laughs> electricity. I have seen some things happen to get that, get that last 10%. We are ruthless from that perspective when it comes to everything except for our people's health and safety. And so there, there's a point when you have to say, you just can't do it all. 
and you have to sit back and decide where the big bet's going to be and be okay with that. And like, and that is one of the hardest things for any leader. What you will find, particularly if it's a really big company, is everybody up to the top will say, I would totally do that, but I can't because, right? Because my boss won't let me, because the board is wants this, the market needs this. You know, no one's really willing to stand up from a courageous perspective and say, let's not do this, except for when, when the project fails, everyone goes, oh, wait, throws it out as if they didn't just spend millions of dollars on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of tolerance for things after the failure point. Part of the discipline is to bring back some of that, like, okay, let's slow it down in the beginning so we don't hit the failure point. Right? We, we probably would end up wasting less money and, and less heartache to do so. So just creating enough of a, of a culture around that so that people feel, you know, again, feel confident that they can deliver on their ultimate goals, even if they give some sanity to the way thing, the way work is done. So some of that for, for anyone who's listening that may not be in a position where they are the boss making the work, you can still create an argument looking at your work in, in those factors to see what the priorities need to be and how if you were to curtail or, or, or pull back something, you could still make your your numbers or whatever whatever your goals need to, are, you can still make them more of a focused perspective than just this this scattershot that we're doing right now. At 360 Solutions, we call the work that makes the company money, we call that the core work. Mm -hmm. And we analyze how everyone's input affects the core work. And then we say, how much of the stuff that you're, you're busy with is not part of the core work? It may be important, but if it's not part of this, we can start looking at maybe that's where the inefficiencies are. Yes. So anybody who's listening to this, hire 360 to do this, because that is probably one of the most important things that that any business can do. And I know it's one of those things where people will say, okay, we'll do this if we're being inefficient. I would say, no, you need to do this even if you're doing well. And that way you can then take all your discretionary energy into even growing bigger, better, faster. Why waste it? That's great work. You're doing God's work, my friend. (laughs) Trying. (laughs) And then also trust is huge. A huge part of the businesses we always find, just like you said, that there's issues where there was something that happened at one point and someone dropped the ball and then there's, there's not trust there anymore. And it's imperative to have great trust. And then the trust stems from a lot of times not good communication. So yes. it's all tied together. It's communication and also accountability. I think a lot of times, particularly for, for my leaders out there who want to give everyone lots and lots of tries, you start to erode trust when we don't hold people accountable to what they need. It, it ends up not being safe for anybody mm-hmm. and you get these issues. We've kind of been talking about this a little bit about in organizations, but on a smaller scale, how do you create really good teams? The team factors is honestly, I think, going to be the new secret sauce, right? The way organizations are, are starting to to operate even more and more, the team starts to become the core factor because hmm. you, can, you can move much much faster in a team than a department or, or some of the structures that we're used to having. The, the core to the team is really getting getting a sense for everyone to be able to deliver at their best, right? Hmm. And we talked, we talked about this from the generational differences, but really listening to your team. I, it's funny, I do an exercise where I take intact teams and literally... All we have them do is, is to say, everyone gets a, a flip chart page and they say, when you're working with me, please do these things. Please don't do these things. And intact teams who have been working together for years will come across things they didn't know about each other. Because we, we don't say that. All we know is I know that you're grouchy after three. It never occurs <laughs> to me that, <laughs> you know, like it's not because I've noticed this, but just in general, three o'clock is a bad time. <laughs> 
you know, yep. to, you know to, to have that meeting with him. Just getting rhythms like that, I think, are really important for a team. I think the other piece is culturally from it, for a team being very clear on what, what works for your culture and what's not. Right? Mm. Are we collaborative? Do we, do we fail together? Do we make mistakes? And as a leader, as you're defining what that team can be, putting enough structure in place that it, it holds up even when people leave. I had someone actually to grab me after a speech that I did. And the issue that they had was all this turmoil going on in the company. They have a good team, but they want to make they don't want to insulate that team from all the drama, right? And the mm-hmm. idea that you can that you can be an oasis for your people. And so the, the leader needs to be a, a bit vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. So that people feel like not only do I know you, but I I know what I'm getting with you. Right. So that that, that transparency piece, particularly if there's drama going out on outside of your team. But then put the put structures in place. So, for example, there was a team that they wanted to celebrate when people failed, and they because you, if you don't take risks, then you're really not going to going to innovate on anything. And they also wanted to create a team where people felt like they could support each other. And so, in their weekly meetings, they had two awards. One was the biggest oops of the week, <laughs> and one was something about by my side or whatever, like a support one. The oops was the rubber chicken. <laughs> and and the by my side was a lava lamp, and they literally just every week we would just give to somebody else, right? But and, and they would, it would move desks, and you always knew someone had the chicken, yay for them. Nice. Um, but it was a you know it was, it was a pleasant way. It didn't cost any money, but it you know it became a shorthand, and you knew that there was nothing wrong with it. So when you create the culture that that you want, build in the kinds of structures so that people it becomes a living breathing visible mark it's not just hearsay about what people believe you're about then you'll find that a a team will walk through walls for a for a manager if they feel like a unit it is it is a beautiful and amazing thing you will see miracles happen you know when you have an intact team but you've got to support them and i think that also means i think the the officially the the class was situational leadership but but leaning into really understanding what each person needs Mm -hmm. and how they need to be developed how they need to be groomed and how they need to be held accountable. It's a little bit more work than just the command and control version of it as a leader, but it will give you gangbusters. And then also knowing how to pair people together that may have different strengths or weaknesses. So Mm -hmm. if you have like an extrovert and an introvert, pair them up so that the extrovert can do the stuff that they would be good at that the introvert struggles with and vice versa. Or the people that are organized, put them in charge of the structure of it. (laughs) And the people who are not, you know, don't. (laughs) That sort of situation, right? Exactly. I I mean, I would also, you know, look to asking people what they want to, what they want to grow, how they want to use those skills. Because, you know, for like, for example, I am very detail oriented. It's years of being an, you know, engineering major. I don't love details. And so what we find is there are things that people are very are excellent at, but doesn't mean that they love it. So when you give people enough time to, to, to stretch their wings and their strengths, but then also to spend a little time growing in the ways that they love, then they, they will be so loyal, so happy. And then those, those partnerships, not only will you be pairing people together, they will start to, to pair themselves together. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the, I think the, the ideal to have a team that looks to you for leadership, but also ha- has, finds its own way to, to strengthen its own self even without you. So if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you and what you do and maybe work with you, what's the best way to go about doing that? I love connecting with people. Absolutely. So, hey, if you see me on the street, stop and say hi. Otherwise, you know, I'm on social media, I'm Tara Winston. And that, that's LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram because I am not creative. All I had was my name. So you can always <laughs> find me at Tara Winston. Or stop, stop by the website. It's Interactions. And that's Interactions with two R's because I couldn't find any other word but my name to put into there. So 
stop by interactions. We've got some great information. See where I'm speaking next. Like I said, stop by, say hi. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast today. We'll put links to all your social media and website and all that stuff in the show notes. And we hope to have you back on again someday. I would love to. This has been absolutely great. And like I said, you're doing God's work. Keep doing it. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.